Hey guys, welcome back to Deep of the Most. I'm your host, DJ. And I'm your host, Sav. Today we're on episode 83. Episode 83, and this is FNC part 35, and we're in Ohio. 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 Not just Ohio, but Cleveland, Ohio. Mm, the capital, okay. So today we're going to be covering the Cleveland Torso Murderer, and this was a serial killer that was running rampant um, around the 1930s. That's a terrible time to be a fucking serial killer. It's people already depressed, my man. Like, dang. Yeah, it was a bad time. The Great Depression, all of that. Yeah, bad time, bad time. Before we move any further, we're going to tell you guys how you can support the show, how you can support Deeper Than Most. You can follow us on Instagram at Deeper Than Most PC. You can also follow us on TikTok at DTM Pod. Go ahead and check us out on YouTube if you're a listener. Our YouTube is Deeper Than Most. And also, if you're a YouTube viewer, hello, welcome. But go ahead and check us out in audio. And we do have audio exclusives that are well worth the listen. I must say so myself. Um, and give us a rating and a review while you're there. Like we always do, before we get into anything on this show, we have to give you our dose of the most. And this week we have Pink Sauce at Wally World. TikTok chef Chef P created an internet sensation last summer. The Pink Sauce. You guys remember that shit? That shit was wild. That's all I'm going to say. Like <laughs> It looked so nasty, dude. Why? Because it looked like Pepto. Yes. <laughs> See, I like Pepto. But like Man. thinking of the sauce that's the same color, I was just thinking, Pepto sauce. Exactly. This sauce was ridiculed and dragged to filth from the start. Due to the disgusting and inedible contents inside the bottles that were shipped to customers' front doors. That'd be crazy, though. And if you aren't aware of, you know, this whole internet sensation, basically people were ordering this sauce because it looked cool. Chef P was like, I'm talking about marketing the fuck out of this sauce. Okay. (laughs) Like, yes, going crazy. I'm talking about dipping her shit, like, in it everything and sharing it all the time like her just eating the sauce um and her whole like mystery behind it was it doesn't taste like anything else like that was her big thing but people were ordering the sauce and when it would arrive to their doorstep like it's a sauce there there were no it it didn't come cold like there it was nothing to keep the sauce there was no preservatives like yeah there was no preservatives in the sauce either it wasn't fda approved um it was just a mess so yeah a little backstory little tidbit whole time sure didn't even know what the fda was but um (laughs) but had her have them knocking at her door girl they don't do that they don't just come to your door your home your residence But to say the least, the FDA would be fucking pissed. Many TikTok videos came out after the initial review of the product, with Chef P spending her time arguing with skeptics and internet folk. Yes, and the initial like review of the product was just a fellow TikToker, this girl in her kitchen trying the sauce, and I'm telling you guys, like the bottles would be like swollen and combusted, and it would smell like just obviously not edible. Um... And so, yeah, she gave, like, an honest product review, and Chef P was pissed and started arguing on the internet <laughs> with people about it. I mean, shit. I don't blame that girl. Shit. <laughs> I gotta tell you about this shit. You know, I said, wow. I was like, what the fuck? 
The fall of 2022, she tried to redeem herself by going on a questionable talk show and having a shady showdown with one of the TikTokers <laughs> who reviewed the product. You can't make this shit up. I don't even know. I've never heard of the talk show. I don't even remember the name, but it was just real questionable. It did not look real got, or legit. And the nigga was like on her side. It was just all bad. I remember seeing clips from it where he was like gaslighting that girl about. Yep, they shit. both were. <laughs> and she started arguing with the girl on stage. Since then, Chef P has been trying to rebuild her brand and her dignity by relaunching her well known pink sauce. The sauce that some say tastes like barbecue or sweet ranch will soon be hitting the shows of Wally World. I hope the fuck not. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how the fuck she got in at, at Walmart, but she did. He has partnered with Dave's Gourmet, which is a well-known sauce brand, and the sauce will debut in over 4,000 Walmarts in the U.S. and online starting mid-January until July 2023. So it seems like a limited time, limited yeah. edition tester run, I guess. This shit actually sells. It might become permanent. So here's the thing. People gonna buy it. Yeah. People gonna buy it. They gonna try it out. And... Uh, with it being on the shelf for this shelf life, I think this is a good tester run, but I don't think it'll go anywhere afterward. Yeah. Well, see, Dave's Gourmet is basically helping her make it this time. Like, oh. it's actually safe now, supposedly. Damn, see? Well, that's the thing. If they help her, I feel like if they help her make it. They're going to get a cut. Oh, they're going to end up owning the shit. It's going to be there. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. But if she sells it to him, I mean, that's a big buck. But she yeah. could probably get a bigger buck if she were to successfully do it herself. Yeah. But if I were her, I would get my money from Dave's Gourmet because her reputation's already tarnished. Oh, for sure. Might as well get paid. Ain't no redeeming that yeah. shit. And it's you're really a chef. Bad. And you're, you don't even know what the it's FDA is. You don't even know what the FDA is. <laughs> right. There will also be <laughs> vegan and gluten-free <laughs> options as well. <laughs> They thinking of it all. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. well, that was Pink Sauce at Wally World, guys. So be on the lookout for that sometime this month. Now, enough of the Pink Sauce. Let's get into this case. So this one, we're going to go through a lot of victims. Um, once again, this was about a serial killer. And most of these victims have not been identified. So, yeah. I mean, we're kind of just going to talk about them in that way like you know that there's not going to be as many names or anything to keep up with so the torso murderer um is like the kind of coined name for the serial killer but a lot of people refer to this as the kingsbury run murders so either one um this took place between 1934 and 1938 so about four years um, and there was between 12 and 13 victims over the span of these four years supposedly killed by the same person or people. That's a lot of people. Yeah, and this is a pretty gruesome um, case, I guess you could say. Or a gruesome killer. The way that they were taking lives is just insane to me, to say the least. We're going to talk about where this took place. Just a little background about Cleveland during the 1930s. And kind of the 20s. So during the 20s, Cleveland was on the rise with a booming population. Most of the people there were immigrants looking for work and a place to call home. Sparking a flame into the city's industrial and manufacturing economy, which I'm sure was great and well needed at the time. Um, but like we mentioned in the beginning, the Great Depression happened and the city had no other choice than to just come together and rebuild. 
Soon after, the city of Cleveland would have to face another unexpected threat. That threat being a serial killer. But yeah, no, ain't that some shit though? Imagine that. You know, you and your family going through all this turmoil and shit, the economy failing. You're trying to figure out how you're going to make these ends meet. And this is the shit you got to deal with too. On the, <laughs> on the latter end of that. Exactly. And being like an immigrant family and mm. you're literally trying to like start your life, you know, get your roots in the ground. Right. You just got there. Just got off of Coney Island. The murders began in 1934. Every single victim was found decapitated and investigators were able to conclude that these decapitations took place while the victims were still alive. Damn. I feel like that detail makes this all the more maddening and frustrating um, to know that these victims were subjected to literal decapitation while being alive. Um, I couldn't imagine. In 1938, they suddenly stopped and no suspect has ever been publicly ID'd and no one has stood trial in connection to the heinous murders. Kingsbury Run is a prehistoric riverbed where remains were recovered. So now we're going to get into the victims and the timelines that kind of connect all of these in a sense. Because for one, who else, especially around this time, was going out and just decapitating people? It was quite easy to pin this down to a certain serial killer, like one person. September 1934, a young man found the remains of a woman in her mid-30s, just her torso and thighs amputated from the knees down. The remains had washed up on the shore of Lake Erie. Cuyahoga County Coroner A.J. Pierce noted that there was a chemical preservative on the skin that made it turn red, tough, and leathery. I don't know what the fuck kind of preservative that could be. I don't know either. I, I don't know too much about body preservation and stuff like that, but... Same. A search then ensued, only recovering a few other body parts, but her head was never found. She was never identified and eventually was referred to as the Lady of the Lake. The discovery of this woman was not added to the killing total until years later and was then known as victim number zero, which I've never heard before. So now we get into the events of September 1935. Two teen boys discovered a decapitated, emasculated corpse of a white male at the base of Jackass Hill. So I'm just wondering, like... Looking at both of these, I'm trying to figure out what was the interaction. Like, how do you get yeah. to this point? This location is where East 49th Street connects at a dead end to Kingsbury Run. Yeah, so there's a whole bunch of, like, streets and areas that we're not personally familiar with in this case. But they all kind of connect back to Kingsbury or they just all connect like back to a specific area. And supposedly this Kingsbury Run area was um, a very popular place at the time for vagrant people, people that were transients and trying to, you know, make, make do, like trying to survive on the streets. So there was a lot of homelessness and a lot of people just like huddled in like these areas and Kingsbury was one of those areas. So it was a shady area to begin with. Right. The body was naked, cleaned, and drained of blood, with rope burns around both of the wrists. Coroner Pierce concluded that this cause of death was decapitation, and fingerprints allowed investigators to identify the victim as Edward Andrasi, who was 23 years old and frequented the area. So that's one of the few victims that was actually ID'd. During the investigation, police discovered a second body nearby, also decapitated and emasculated. This body appeared to be preserved with the same chemical as the Lady of the Lake. 
The body had been deceased for a few weeks and belonged to a 40-year-old white male who was never ID'd. Same chemical. But you see the way that they're being killed, how, like, they're all decapitated. Mm -hmm. You know, like, a couple of them have this preservative. That's how you can tell that it's, like, the same killer. The same, like, there's just certain details that connect. There's an M.O. There's a certain M.O. To continue on, January 1936, a woman discovered parts of a woman's body neatly wrapped in newspaper and packed into two baskets. The baskets had been left alongside the Hart Manufacturing Building on Central Avenue near East 20th Street. The rest of the remains, except for the head, were recovered about 10 days later in a vacant lot on Orange Avenue. Same as victims one and two, this victim had suffered decapitation. And evidence showed that with this victim, the killer waited for rigor mortis to set in before dismembering other parts. This victim was later identified through her fingerprints. And this was victim number three, Florence Palio, who was a waitress and a barmaid. June 1936, early morning one day in Kingsbury Run, two boys found the head of a white male wrapped into a pair of trousers close to the 55th Street Bridge. The next day, Cleveland police found the body of the 20-something-year-old man that belonged to the, the head. And this body was located in front of the Nickel Plate Railroad Police Facility. That's ballsy. The body was drained of its blood. The body was intact aside from the head, another death caused by decapitation. Though there were fresh fingerprints and six unique tattoos on the victim, this victim, once again, was never ID'd. Crazy. Oh, that's interesting. Tattoos, you would think. It'd be somebody, easy. Yeah. Like somebody's seen these tattoos before. Exactly. And they had fingerprints. Right. Still, nothing. Huh. And what's odd to me is how they were drained of blood. That's crazy. What else is crazy is how you should be thinking about what you're going to do after this sponsor. And we will see you Jeez. soon. We're back and we're going to get into some more victims. In July of 1936, a teen girl found the decapitated remains of a 40-year-old white male while she was walking through the woods near Clinton Road in Big Creek on the west side of Cleveland. This victim had been deceased for some odd two months, and the head, as well as a pile of bloody clothing, was found nearby. Due to the immense amount of blood on the ground at the site, it was determined that this victim was killed where they were discovered. And this is victim number five, and they have never been ID'd. Literally, I mean, I get the time period. It was the 30s, and things were not nearly as advanced as they are now. Um, but it's just sad to know that, like, Somebody can just go out and kill so many people in such gruesome ways yeah. and get away with it. Like, nobody, like their identity is never right. fucking confirmed. You never know who it is. Nobody gets justice. Yeah. And the victims don't even get justice or really for their story to be heard because they're, they haven't even been ID'd. Right. You know nothing about these victims. Even though they all had lives, they all had families. Shit like this always baffles me, though, because, like, this was, what, some odd, this is 1930s, this is not, like, too, too, too long ago. And my thing is, you over here killing folks, like, wasn't the Great Depression enough? <laughs> Why are you stirring up more shit? That's what I'm saying, dude. People already having a tough time, and then, yeah. here you go. That's crazy. Oof. And you can't even, like, chop this up to being a cult-type thing or anything like that but i do find it interesting though how none of the heads are fine like i mean this head was found i think there was one more 
Um, and then, like, the other one that was found. But other than that, like, the heads were not found. And it kind of leads me to believe that the person was keeping them as, like, trophies or something. Just twisted and sick, honestly. Honestly, like, around this time and, like, older cases, like, Jack the Ripper, like, the serial killers were no joke. They were killing people in just vicious ways. In September of 1936, a man tripped over the upper half of a male torso while trying to hop a train on East 37th Street in Kingsbury Run. Cleveland police searched a nearby pool that was essentially nothing more than a big open sewer, and that is where they found the bottom half of the torso and parts of both legs. A diver was allocated to the site by police for a collection of the remains. Over 600 onlookers watched the recovery of the victim and the killer could have been amongst them. Coroner Pierce noted the lack of hesitation in the dismembered locations on the body. Damn. So basically, he was concluding that whoever was dismembering these bodies, they didn't have a second thought on it or, you know, they weren't nervous or hesitant to dismember these bodies. Um, they knew what they were doing and there was force behind the decapitation and the dismemberment. This indicated that the killer was confident, strong, and very familiar with human anatomy. The victim died instantly and the head was cut off in one bold, clean stroke. And this is victim number six, who was never ID'd. How do you, how do you know how to do that? Like, and I want to say it makes me think, oh, maybe it's a doctor or, you know, like somebody who worked in a hospital. But they don't teach you that shit to be a doctor. They don't teach you how to just clean cut, dismember a head. Let us know what you guys think about that. So now we're going to roll into more victims um there's so many february 1937 a man found the upper half of a woman's torso washed up on shore east of bratanal different from the other victims decapitation was not the cause of death for this victim the decap happened after she was deceased and the lower half of the torso washed up on the shore a few months later on east 30th street she was never id'd but the woman was in her mid-20s June 1937, a teen boy found a human skull under Lorraine Carnegie Bridge. Next to it was a burlap bag with skeletal remains that was of a petite black woman in her 40s. Dental records allowed for an unofficial identification as Rose Wallace of Scoville Avenue. Police tried every lead and none gave results. Damn, that's disheartening. Imagine that. Yeah. You think that you've found what you're looking for and don't get anything out of it. July 1937, workers keeping watch by the West 3rd Street Bridge saw the first piece of victim number nine, bobbing in the water in the wake of a passing tugboat. Over the next few days, police recovered the entire body except for the head from the Cuyahoga River. The abdomen had been gutted and the heart had been ripped out. This indicated a new element of rage and viciousness in the killer's pattern. The victim was in his mid to late 30s and never ID'd. Some of these just feel and seem more brutal than, like, some of the others. And it just makes me wonder, like, was this person just, like, going out? Because there's also no, like, distinct type of victim. There's no victim stereotype or character. Right. Um, they're all different, it feels like. And I wonder if this person was just going after everybody that they felt had, like, done them wrong or something. Because these just seem so personal. Yeah. Why are you gutting people and, like, ripping their hearts out? Like, I don't. I don't know. It's wow. just, and cutting their heads off. It's just too much. It's going far and beyond. Like, it's not just a stabbing. Or oh, like okay. a, Yeah, it's just a lot. 
April of 1938, a young laborer was on his way to work when he saw what he thought was a dead fish in Cuyahoga River. Closer inspection revealed it to be the lower half of a woman's leg, the first piece of victim number 10. A month later, police pulled two burlap bags out of the river containing the complete torso and the rest of both legs. This is, it's all so weird, like reading each one or like hearing each one and how they've been found. Or... And it's pieces yeah. of people. The coroner found drugs in the victim's system. The question was, is this victim an addict or was the victim immobilized? Now we jump into the last victims and other details. August 16th, 1938, three scrap collectors at a dump site on East 9th and Lakeside found the torso of a woman wrapped in a man's blue blazer and wrapped in an old quilt. So it was like double wrapped. The legs and arms were discovered in a recently constructed makeshift box wrapped in brown butcher paper and held together by rubber bands. The head was wrapped in similar fashion. It was noted that some of the parts looked as if they had been refrigerated. And while investigating the scene for more pieces, the police discovered the remains of a second body just yards away. And neither one of these victims has ever been ID'd as well. And that's the last of these victims. In July of 1939, 52-year-old Bohemian bricklayer Frank Dolezal was arrested for the murder of Flo Pulio. He had lived with her for a while and more investigation proved that he was acquainted with Edward Andrasi and Rose Wallace. Before trial, he was found dead in his cell. He had hung himself. And to this day, only a few people believe he was a torso murderer. I do find it odd, though, that you knew three of the victims and you lived with one of them. Right. And Flo was like one of the first ones. But with all that being said, that's been the case of the torso murderer. A.K.A. the Kingsbury Run murders. And now we take you into our lovely wind down. This time around, we have three. The first one reads, what's one question this case leaves you with? My one and only question, it's mostly been the same question throughout the whole case, is um, how did we get to the points that we got to? Yeah. How did these victims end up in these situations? Yeah. Um, My question is why? Just why? And of course, like, who? Who the fuck is doing this? Right. And really got away with it and got to live their whole life, probably. Right. I would hope that they didn't, but... Our second wind down is, do you think this murderer could ever be identified? Given how old this shit is and there's not a lot of details, and we don't even have positive identifications of the victims to be able to try to, like, piece together the puzzle, because the victims play a big part in finding a serial killer. I mean, there's connections there. Sometimes there's not. You know, if this serial killer is just going after random, you know, victims. Mm. But usually there is, you know, there's like connections there. Also, no evidence at the scenes, nothing. So I don't think that this will ever be solved. Yeah, no, um, I don't think so either. I don't think there's there isn't enough to go off of. Mm. And like you said, it's it's so old, like, they wouldn't even... There wouldn't even be a real point to revisit it because everything is probably... Well, I mean, not like you're going to get justice. The person's yeah. dead by now. Right. Um, and on top of that, even if you find out who did it, you still don't. And because that person's dead, you still don't know who the victims are. So it's really a lose-lose situation either way. Right. 
And our last and final wind down is, are you going to try the pink sauce when it hits the shelves this month? Mm, you know. Oh, you can order it online too. Um, off of Walmart. Nah, y'all can keep it. I won't be trying it, but if y'all do, let us know how it tastes. Let us know what you what you tried it with. Yes, come back to this episode, comment it down below. What did you think of the pink sauce? Because I'm really curious. Um, I don't think I would try it for myself either, but I would be interested to hear. Because I know it's changed a lot, too, since she initially released it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm just like kind of over the hype. I'm over it. And I have the sauces that I like. So I'll stick with those. Sure. Thanks. I don't know. It's, just, it's just one of the things. She said it don't taste like anything else. So what the hell do it taste like? People say it tastes like sweet ranch because uh, of the dragon fruit. They can keep it. You can definitely keep that yeah. shit. And you can actually, like, taste the dragon fruit. Yeah, you can keep that shit for sure. I love dragon fruit. But she be putting it on chicken and salads and everything. And it's really, really runny. Mm-hmm. Well, before we head out of here, we just want to remind you guys that this is the year of what? The year of precision. Yes. Thank you. So we're going to be precise about everything DTM this year. Um... Because, yeah, that's that's the word of the year. That's the word of the year, fellas. If you've been sticking with us since last year, you know that last year was the year of elevation. But this year, we're on to something bigger and better. Precision, baby. So, what are your kind words for today? My kind words are, hmm, create and create effortlessly. There's so many cool things out there, man. Find something you like and make something cool out of it. Mine would be learn you something. Learn something. Like try to research a topic or something that you're interested in and, you know, take notes on it. Be serious about it and actually become knowledgeable in it. Um, Knowledge is key always. And we strive for that. We strive to be more intellectual. We strive to just be better overall. And that means mentally as well. Once again, this has been episode 83. I have been your lovely host, Sav. And I have been your host, DJ. And we hope that you guys keep it light, bright, and positive. And we will catch you next week on another episode of Deeper Deeper Than Than Most. Most.